Do you think you may have a problem with your alcohol consumption or drug use? Are you thinking about quitting and want to know what all the sober hype is about? Whatever the reason, I'm so grateful you're here with me today. My name is Sarah, and I am the creator and host of Sober Gratitudes. I once was an active alcoholic, and after decades of failed attempts to control my drinking, I finally reached out for help. Letting others help me is why I'm here today, living a life I never thought possible. The suffering of my past was the catalyst I needed to find recovery and be receptive to healing. I created this podcast out of the desire to recover out loud and, with the help of my guests, show you how a better life is possible after addiction. Whether you have been here before or you are a first-time listener, I would be so grateful if you would take a moment to write a review on Apple Podcasts so that it can reach more people who may be struggling. Together, we can help those in need. You can also reach me at sobergratitudes at gmail.com with any questions or comments. Thank you again for dropping in today, and welcome to Sober Gratitudes. Sober Gratitudes is a podcast dedicated to spreading the hope in recovery from addiction. It is an inclusive show that does not promote or represent any recovery program. When my guests and I discuss what keeps us sober, we are referring to our own unique experiences. Our goal is to encourage and give hope to those who are struggling and need support. Sober Gratitudes podcast is proud to come together and partner with Valor Fitness Clothing in our mutual mission to support and encourage the recovering community. Based in Los Angeles and inspired by real recovery, Valor Fitness lives up to its mission. With one item sold, Valor Fitness donates one item to a homeless shelter or transitional rehab facility. Because Valor Fitness Clothing supports Sober Gratitudes mission, everyone can receive a discount when shopping. Use the code GRATITUDE20 at checkout. Also, every guest on my podcast will be graciously given a gift certificate from Valor. We're stronger together when we come together. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 19 of Sober Gratitudes. My name is Sarah, and I am so grateful you came back today for an incredible episode. Today's guest is Tim. He's a former IV heroin addict, and he shares his incredible story of life before and after addiction. He is transparent about how he always felt something was missing in his life from a very young age, a void, and how an opiate prescription from a car accident ultimately turned into a means of numbing his, this void and difficult emotions that were never addressed. Pain pills for a car accident injury to IV heroin drug use. Learn how an eventual emotional breakthrough and a surrendering to his disease resulted into a renewed self-love, sense of belonging, and sense of purpose. Tim, creator of The Sober Guru, launched a huge online support resource for people who are addicted to drugs and a 34,000 following Facebook page. This is an episode that inspired me beyond measure. Please take an hour to soak up this incredible story of hope and redemption.
and, and you do great work too. I love, I love the sober gratitudes. Um, and, and honestly, that's one of my tools in my toolbox is being grateful because when I get out of gratitude, I start to go backwards with my thinking and I have to every day go over my daily gratitudes because I have to remind myself, why am I sober? Why am I staying sober? Why am I growing as a human being? All these things I have, all these relationships, all these, you know, my kids, everything, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Is a gratitude. And if mm-hmm. I'm if I give away my sobriety, I'm not having I'm I'm throwing all this away. All of it yeah. out the way. So the oh. sober gratitude is big for me. And your page, love it. I love what you're doing. I love, you know, the awareness you're bringing and the attention to, you know, um, everybody's different story, you know, and maybe yeah. having your first drug addict on your podcast might open the door for many others. You know, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, I've been kind of letting this podcast, you know, lead itself. And I'm just kind of like listening to, you know, how it's growing organically and what the listeners are and how people are responding because really, truly, this is this, this was something I wanted to do for others. You know, I wanted right. to provide hope for others because, um, and also because I just love talking about and hearing stories about <laughs> transformation and like you can tell I can, I get very excited when when I see people who are just so down in the, the trenches and look at where you are now Tim like this is just That's unbelievable right. and and yeah so I just can't wait I'm so glad to know you I'm so glad we connected and I'm going to keep my eye on you I'm going to be watching you and your beautiful family grow and um keep your son and the one in particular who has you know the the valve um, issue, I'm sure with the way medical, um, the medical industry is now, and I know people who have children with heart issues, you know, that I'm sure he'll be well tended to, but you know, you know more than I do, but I'll be absolutely keeping him in my prayers. And, and and I I I wish you, I wish you all the best and I will be um, writing. I'll be posting you all over the place um, on my social media for when we get your podcast out, which I, uh, your episode out, which I'll, I'll probably do that today. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, I'll also share it out on my pages um, and different platforms. I, again, I appreciate you for having me and yeah. thank you for all your support and, you know, love oh. you're sending. Um, oh. And I'll be doing the same with you. You know, I'll be following, I'll be listening to more stories. I, I hope I hear yeah. some more drug addict stories because, you know, everybody's different, but we all end up the same place, you know, yep. recovery. so it doesn't matter yeah. what, what got us here. It's just that we're here. Right. And helping each other. Like we're yes, not in competition. We're not in competition with each other. No, like, that, no. like we, like, that's what I love about this. Like all the other podcasts that are recovery podcasts, I get so excited about them. I want to tell everyone about all these other podcasts. And, and that's just such a, I, I just love that. I love that I can celebrate other, other people who are doing what I'm doing, but in different ways. And it's just, it's, it's all for, for the, the good of, of helping people. So recovery is definitely an us thing. No matter yeah. who you are, where, what country you're in, it's an us thing. We do recover, you know? We do. We do. Together. Together. So yes, ma'am. Yeah. Well, this has been great. And I'm, I'm really so grateful for you coming on. And, I, and um, we'll be in touch. Yes, ma'am. Thank you okay. so much. I appreciate your yeah. time. Okay. Take care, Tim. All right. Bye-bye. Tim? Is that better? Yeah. See? Awesome. Sad service. <laughs> <laughs> There must be a million people who are doing podcasts during this pandemic. And it's just. No, I just think, I think uh, that's like I was telling you, it's undeveloped and AT&T, they don't have a lot of towers around here. I even tried to get an AT&T hotspot and, um, or like a uh, signal booster. They don't have them. Okay. Not for this area. 
So that's so going to be switched bad. to T-Mobile because of that. Okay. Bad press for AT&T if I keep this in the recording. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm so excited, everyone, that I have the sober guru with us on my podcast today. Um, his name is Tim. And we connected um, over, t- it was Twitter, right, Tim? Instagram. Oh, I'm sorry, Instagram. Um, all these social media media accounts. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you have a huge following on Facebook, and um, then your website is just unbelievable. Um, let me just tell the listeners a little bit about you and our okay. conversation. Um, so Tim and I connected. Uh, he, uh, one of us, reached out to the other. I can't remember, but Tim is officially my first. Um, former drug addict, and um, I've always spoke with um, recovering alcoholics, so I'm really pumped to have my first drug addict, former drug addict, on today, because <laughs> I, you know, I really, my, my, my uh, podcast name, Sober Gratitudes Podcast, is, is, you know, allows for quite a, like, a lot to fall under that umbrella, you know, a wide right. range of, of um, addictions and, and things of that nature, so, Tim has done incredible things with his sobriety and uh, I just, you, everyone needs to know about what he's done. And first, before we learn about more about the sober guru and what you offer um, as the guru, (laughs) um, (laughs) let's, let's, let's hear about you and your, your background and how you qualify as a recovering drug, drug addict. Okay, I'll give you the short version. Um, so okay. first off, thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. Um, like I was telling you before, this is my absolute first podcast ever. So I really do appreciate you know the opportunity to have me on here sharing my experience and my gratitude, you know, most importantly. Um, so I grew up in a normal house. Um, no, there's actually no alcoholics. My both neither of my parents are alcoholics or addicts. Um, but always I'd say since I was like, I guess since from where I can remember like 12, I always had this void. Right. And they talk about the void in the rooms and I related to it so much because I always felt like something was missing. And when I was, uh, I'd say, we'll fast forward like 14, 15 in high school, uh, you know, started messing around, drinking, um, smoking weed, you know, norm at the time, normal teenage things. Um, actually I drank a lot. I drank a lot from 14 to all the way up to about 18. And then all of a sudden I stopped drinking. I I found something more that filled the void better. This is what happened for me. So, um, and what was that? That was, that was opiates, uh, painkillers. So when I was, when I just, I just got out of high school at 17 and I got into a, a minor car accident where it messed up my lower back. Um, got rear-ended and then coincidentally a year later I got t-boned so both of those accidents kind of uh, had my 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 pill addiction take off so doctors prescribed me um, oxycodone oxycodone and hydrocodone Um, I was on them prescribed for about I'd say two and a half three years oh my gosh oh yeah 
because I think because one accident happened and then the other, and then more damage occurred. So they, they kind of had me in, in therapy, uh, physical therapy, seeing chiropractor, you know, the whole gamut of services that follow a car accident. Um, so yeah, my, my life kind of got like interrupted. Um, so let me, let me go back a little bit. So when I graduated high school, uh, I was 17. Currently at that time I was only doing construction, like side jobs. And I wanted to get into the, the, uh, the field of helping people. So, uh, like I applied at, for airline, it, weird, weird, different, uh, <laughs> jobs. I applied at an airline. I applied at the hospital, children's hospital, and then I applied at, um, uh, what was it? Oh, um, uh, the, the, uh, the train, the train, um, sorry. It's okay. The Metro train in Philadelphia. I applied okay. to all those. I was like, okay, I can help people at all these places. Let's What's see what you can call me back. I'm sorry, Tim. What's the Metro train in Philadelphia? It's, what? it's actually called SEPTA. Amtrak and SEPTA. Amtrak and SEPTA. S-E-P-T-A, SEPTA. Okay, gotcha. It's a major metro there. Um, oh. So I applied to all of them. The Children's Hospital got back to me and the airline got back to me, but I chose to go with the Children's Hospital because it was local uh, um, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So I started working there out of high school. Um, I was doing part-time classes for EMT and I thought maybe I could, um, you know, uh, bring that to the hospital and do that there. But, you know, it didn't work out that way. Um, I got kicked out of the EMT school, uh, too much tardiness late, you know, drinking with my friends, didn't really take it as serious because I just got out of high school. I was like, you know, I can, I can take my time with school now. Well, it didn't work that way, unfortunately. Um, so I did a, um, a support services, uh, role in the hospital. So I started there right out of high school and by the time I, so then, okay, then go back to where I was. So I got in a car accident at 18, 18 to 21. I was using, uh, prescribed medications. So in between there, um, my doctor tried to cut me off. Now I didn't know anything about drug addiction as far as like, this is dangerous. You got to come off of it safely. Um, you know, there's a high risk of you using other opiates that are stronger from starting this. I didn't know any of that. They didn't educate me properly mm-hmm. when I was, when I was going, I just thought like I had to do this in order to get my car fixed in order to get, you know, um, I, I mean, I was young and naive, so I didn't really know how any of that worked. Well, it Never didn't seem like the doctors, before. the doctors weren't very helpful. No, okay. the doctor was not helpful at all. Can um, I ask what year this was? I'm just okay, curious. So I'm sorry. I got to do a little bit of math here. So okay. I graduated in 09. This was probably 2010. Okay. 2010. And the doctors were not uh, uh, helping you to effectively come off of these painkillers. They just no, were so saying. From, so, yeah. So from 2010, 2011, right around, right around there, 2011, they kept me on it. And um, my tolerance started building. So then they gave me higher doses. He was a little bit like, um, he was a little bit uh, iffy about bumping my, my milligram because of my age. Yeah. Uh, but he, so he started me at five milligrams and then he bumped it up to 10. I was on 10 for a while. I'd say about seven months, eight months. Mm-hmm. And then he bumped it to 15s. Well, eventually that wasn't good enough. And when he said he was going to cut me, um, 
I found out I can go to other doctors. I didn't have to go to just him. So here I was at like oh, 18, almost 19, and I'm looking around doctor shopping, they call it, mm-hmm. seeing who will, who, will help, who will help me with, you know, filling my prescription, writing me a prescription, and then going from there. Well, I found somebody. Um, it was like a half hour out of the way, but that was fine. At the time, I didn't care. And I didn't want to get into the same situation where my tolerance built and built up and then um, I got cut off. So I found a secondary doctor who I would just pay with cash, not insurance. So the insurance company didn't know about it. I just had to Mm. pay in cash. Mm. So I paid him in cash and I filled my prescription in cash, but I knew I would never run out and, you know, I don't have to worry about getting cut. So I'm seeing two doctors now. Well, that kind of came back and backfired because now as my tolerance is building, I'm just taking double the doses. So it built, it it built even, even quicker. So I'd say about 2021, it started, I started realizing how bad it was getting. Um, my, so my family, like I said, no drug addicts or alcoholics. So they didn't really know what was going on. Um, I mean, I, I only told them what they needed to know. You know, I got in a car accident. I'm getting the help I need. That's it. And Tim, um, did you, ha- did, were you taking them just orally at this time? So I started taking them orally and I'd mm-hmm. say that's a good, that's a good point. Um, I'd say about a year in, I started sniffing them, oh, crushing okay. them up and sniffing them. And, and how did actually, you get that idea? Like, how would you, cause see, I'm an alcoholic. I'm not, I never use drugs like that, but like, I just, so I'm just curious. And like for the listeners too, who might be curious, like what makes you say like, okay, now this is not enough. I'm going to start sniffing it. Like, do you get that idea from um, people that you are or do you look on Google? Do you Google it? Like, honestly, I'd say it's a combination of um, the people I was around, and then I just had some knowledge of like how 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 it uh, hits your bloodstream, right? So if you take okay. it orally, it's going to hit your bloodstream the longest. If okay. you inject it, it's pretty instant, and okay. if you put it in your saliva or, or if you put it in your nose, it'll hit it pretty quicker, a lot quicker. So. Yeah. Like when you, okay, so for instance, you're, you're an alcoholic, I don't know if you know, but like cocaine. Cocaine, you feel it almost instantly because you sniff it. Okay. I mean, you, you can also shoot it, but you don't, you don't eat it. Eating it, I, I don't know that you can, anyone has really had a problem eating cocaine. But it's, it's, either, it's either sniffed or it's, you know, injected. So I, I, knew, I knew about that because, you know, in high school I tried cocaine, never really got addicted to it, but I tried it, parties, you know, it, it goes hand in hand with drinking for me. Um, so, uh, in high school, I knew about sniffing cocaine. So, um, I I think, and I think the people I was around as well, um, because later on they suffered with the same issues with, as I did with the heroin. So I think, I think they were, um, on the same track as like, I want to feel this as soon as possible. I don't want to wait. I want to feel it instantly. Instantly. So, yeah, it it was, so it was definitely, definitely addict behaviors. (laughs) And I didn't even know what was going on as far as like, I'm growing an addiction that's going to be hard to fight. I didn't really have an idea of what I, what was going on. Um, believe it or not, when I ran out, I thought I was just sick. Like uh, I had the cold or something. Like I didn't know I was going through withdrawals. Oh, I didn't. Wow. I didn't. I had no idea. I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm I'm sick. Uh, I'll get better tomorrow. Or tomorrow but isn't that dangerous though? Like that's pretty dangerous though to like to stop. Like you are this innocent, you know, young man taking these medications that doctors prescribed you and yeah granted you were taking them 
like in an attic sort of way. But when you stopped taking them, you didn't know that you were going to have certain kind of withdrawal that might be deadly. Right. Is I mean, it could it, it, kill it, you. So right? it can't. So opiates can't kill you when you're okay. coming when you're coming off of them. Um, very few drugs that can. Uh, Xanax is one of them because of the seizures that can kill you. Coming off Xanax is dangerous. Okay. Um, alcohol, as you know, can be very dangerous because it gives you seizures and right. stuff like that. Same thing with the Xanax, okay. um, gives you seizures. Seizures. Um, but there's no, there's no the, the the worst part. So let me, I'll, I'll walk you through it. Opiate withdrawal is pretty much um, the chills, the sweats, um, uh, vomiting. Sometimes diarrhea comes with that. Um, you, you, you kind of feel like you're crawling out of your skin, uh, restless legs, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it could be, it could be confused for like a cold or a flu, you mm-hmm. know, and that's just what I thought it was. Okay. Um, no, so it's not, it's not a, it's not deadly per se. Um, okay. So I told you I had a secondary doctor just in yeah. case. Well, yeah. excuse me. Uh, that doctor actually did inform me. He, you know, he actually, I think out of all the doctors I've seen, he was probably the best one because he informed me. He's like, look, this isn't going to be easy for you. You're going to have to come off eventually. And I want to make sure you're, you're not, you know, hurting too bad when you do. And by that time, this was like two and a half years in, mm-hmm. I kind of had, I, and kind of already figured out the hard way what he was. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm like 20 years old at this time and I was like, all right, you know, thank you. I appreciate it. But can you keep me on longer? You know, I didn't want to come off. I at that point, I'm already hooked. It's been two, two, two and a half years. I didn't want to come off. I was like, I can keep doing this. So, um, so he actually, he did. He's like, all right, look, you got one more month. And then if you want to keep seeing me, I'm going to take you off. But I'll take you off with Suboxone. Suboxone's another, um, it's a narcotic. Um, it has buprenorphine and um, what is it? Naloxone, naloxone and buprenorphine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it helps you with craving. It helps you with craving um, opiates, and it also prevents you from getting okay. sick. So he he gave me those. Um, I'm gonna be honest. It didn't. I did. I didn't want it. You know, I didn't want to come off at that point. Um, <clears throat> so what I did, I would just you know sell them to to my friends and be like here, and then with that money, I just go buy some pills in the streets. You know, um, I was, I was, I was full on hooked at that point. I did, I, I didn't know how deep I was in, but I knew that I, I liked the feeling it gave me. And, you know, going back to what I was saying in the beginning, that, that void. So that feeling, I didn't have to feel, you know, the emptiness. I didn't have to feel any kind of, you know, sorrow or guilt or shame or anything. Um, I'm sorry. Let me add, let me, let me add a portion that I, I skipped. Oh, actually, it's about the same age. Yeah, I was about twenty. So, um, a little backstory. I had a a younger sister. She she was born with Down syndrome, and when she was thirteen years old, she um, she got leukemia. Oh. So I was a. We all did uh, bone marrow tests. Um, I'm one of five kids, so my two sisters. She was the third sister, and then my older brother. We all we all uh, did. Uh, a test for see who was a good match for bone marrow. Um, out of the other three siblings, I was the best one. So I used uh, my bone marrow to try and like fight off the cancer. This was before I did opiates, okay. like right, right before. 
So only thing I was doing at that time was drinking and smoking weed. So it was no big deal, you know, because they do drug test you. They want to make sure what's in your blood, you know, all of that. I didn't really have anything but marijuana. So I was a match. I donated I donated my marrow to her. They took as much as they possibly could. Mm-hmm. And it not that it didn't work, but it didn't do what they expected it mm. to do. Her body fought off my marrow. So her cells were fighting off my cells. So her body didn't receive it properly. So the doctor, um, this was, and oh, hold on, let me think for a second. I was still young. I was about 19 mm-hmm. at the time. I was about 18 or 19. Yeah, it was just when my, my when I start when I got in the accident. So I wasn't really taking anything else. Um, that happened that summer. Uh, I'd say 19, and they they were like, you know, she's probably got a couple months left. So they put her on hospice and I moved back home with my parents um, because I was out of the house. Um, I was out of the house at 16. I moved back with my parents at 18 when my sister uh, got sick. And um, she, so that was summer. That was summer of, I want to say summer of 15. Okay. That was. No, it, it might have been it might have been before that because yeah, she fought it for about two years. Oh wow! Yeah, she fought it for about two years, um, and with chemo and then eventually the bone marrow, but that did like I said didn't work. Um, uh, anyway, I had I had a lot of shame and guilt. I don't know. I felt like some somehow some way it was my fault that her body didn't receive my cells. I don't know why, I, it, and it doesn't even work that way. Where like it's something wrong with your bone marrow. But I, I didn't, I didn't understand it, and I just, I don't know. I was beating myself up. And you had already, so and I'm sorry to interrupt, but so real quick, so no. you had already though, and you, and you, you were transparent in the beginning when you said that you already kind of felt like when you were younger that there was a void in your life, that, that something was missing. So you already had that kind of. Is that when that void feeling started? Darkness almost. Okay, yeah. and then it's no the void. The void started. The void started uh, when I was like twelve. Well, okay, 13. 12 or 13. Okay, yeah. so not too long before you started drinking and and um and smoking right. weed, and then not soon there, not um too soon later, there was the the, the um unfortunate situation with your sister and the bone right. marrow not working. So that just kind of fed, I would imagine, it fed into your feelings of shame it fed into and it, guilt. Right. And okay, okay, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I just wanted to make that no, you're fine. Okay. You're fine. Um. So yes, yeah, so she made it July. She passed away January the next year. Um, oh, I'm sorry. So yeah, it's 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 okay. Um, but she. Um, so I had a lot of guilt and shame around that. Um, I blamed myself, even though I shouldn't have. I did. You know, I learned more. I learned more about it afterwards. Yeah. Talked to a lot of different uh, professionals about it, but. Um, yeah, I was really close with her, so it kind of messed me up after that. Um, I remember going to her funeral, and I, I I had a speech, and I don't even remember being up there on the on the on the podium. Like it it was it was bad. Like I was I was taking a lot more pills at that time. Um, it kind of hit me hard. Um, that was the first like close family member I've ever lost, so it was like hard for me. And I'd say after that, it started spiraling like bad. Um, that was January, her funeral. I'd say by the summer, I was sniffing heroin. Oh, boy. Okay. 
so the pills got expensive, obviously. Yeah. That's a very expensive habit. Um, so eventually it wasn't, it wasn't enough. It wasn't, you know, I didn't have the resources or the means to get it all the time. You know, doctors kind of got started getting stricter at that time. Yeah. Because this was, you know, a couple years after initially getting prescribed them. Um, and at that, and, and, and that's another thing too. Um, thinking back, pills were really, were a lot bigger then when I, in 2009, 2010, than they are now. And even, you know, it started, um, it started improving with doctors. Um, and you know, the, they started regulating more how freely they could give it away, how they, how freely they can give those prescriptions away. And then also making sure that the patients know what they're getting themselves into and then, you know, properly taking them off. So I'm glad for that. Um, looking back. Yeah, that's why I asked uh, about the, the year this started because I knew like things mm-hmm. got pretty hardcore strict. Uh, yeah, in Philadelphia, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, it was pretty loose. Um, and and before that, it was even worse. Because when I grew up, um, I didn't grow up in a in a in a in a, a bad area. It was pretty, you know, um, middle class. Mm-hmm. But everybody, that was the big thing back then was pills. Heroin wasn't that big. Okay. Um, it was big. But not 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 like it is now. Um, pills were huge back then, um, so it was it was more accepted amongst my friends. Okay. I didn't really have to hide it. So then, sorry, I'm gonna go back a, to where I was. That's okay. Sorry. Um, so yeah, my so my sister's my sister passing definitely hit me hard. Um, I started spiraling out of control again. At this time, I wasn't drinking, so I drank uh, a good amount of my teenage life. But after I was introduced to opiates, and the the way they made me feel i didn't even like want anything else you know what i mean like the job was done with that why would i sit there and drink to get drunk that just took too long for me mm-hmm. i wanted that instant gratification plus um i i, I don't know i hated the hangover i i despised it i was like this too much work for not enough satisfaction i was always chasing more as far as i so um yeah so okay so that summer um my fiance at the time, I got engaged that summer. Mm-hmm. Um, my fiance at the time, her brother was a heroin addict mm-hmm. and I was still using pills. Uh, she knew I was using pills, but she knew they were prescribed. You know, she didn't know I was abusing them, mm-hmm. but she knew because I kind of, I kind of hit it, you know, even though I knew I had a problem deep down inside, I didn't want others to know I had a problem. Mm-hmm. So I would kind of like fabricate it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just, just my pain meds, you know, I, I didn't want anyone to know that I was going down down a, a terrible, terrible lane. Um, so, okay, so her brother was a heroin addict. And I remember it was Halloween of that year. Or I think it was Halloween, yeah. That was the first time. It wasn't that summer. It was Halloween. That was the first time I tried heroin. And I sniffed it because I had I had no more pills left, of course. And, you know, I, I did them all. Um, and... He was like, look, it's the same feeling. It's just a lot cheaper and you don't need to do as much. I was like, okay. So he had, so he was an IV user and he, um, I, I don't know. Do you, I don't know if, if, if you're, uh, you're following or your, your audience knows much about drugs. Should I, I explain? Don't <laughs> well, I don't know. Okay. I don't want to give people ideas. But I don't want to get, yeah, I don't either. I don't either. Okay. Anyway, he had a little bit of, re- uh, like kind of like residue or a couple, you know, a little bit left and. I, I, I sniffed that for the first time. I go, shit, you're right. Like, this is the same strength as like a 30 milligram, you know, and that cost him $10. That cost me $30. Big difference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, a lot less had to be done. 
So, okay, um, enough about the drugs, uh, that part of the drugs. So basically, the Halloween of that year, it started, it started getting out of control. Um, I tried heroin for the first time. I loved it. It was cheaper. Didn't have to worry about, you know, doctor, doctor shopping or looking for people to have it on the streets. I just, at this time, you know, dope was easier to come by. So start using heroin. I was only sniffing it. I told myself, I'm never going to inject it. Never going to be an IV user. You know, that's worse than sniffing it. I'm only sniffing it. It's no big deal. She found out, my fiance at the time found out, I'd say six months, seven months later. And she was mad. She's like, look, I'm going to leave you. She had a, at the time she had a two-year-old daughter and she's like, I'm going to leave you if, you know, if you keep doing this, you know, you need to go get help. I was like, all right, whatever. I'll go get help. Just Googled some random treatment center in the area. I went there. I went there, I'd say about seven days. And then they wanted me to stay a whole program. I was like, yeah, no, I got other plans. I just need to be detoxed. That's it. Again, I thought it was just the physical withdrawals I had to get through. I didn't realize the the depth I've already um, you know buried myself in with uh, addiction. Yeah. I didn't yeah. realize everything that comes with it. I didn't realize what I was trying to you know bury in my as far as my emotions, feelings, all that. So seven days, I was like, I'm cured. Let me go home. Told her to pick me up. She came pick me up. Needless to say, a week later, hey, there I go using again. So. Um, that now that summer of the following year, um, I had, to, I, I, I had to go again. So this time I went to Florida and I stayed that whole entire summer for three years. I mean, I'm sorry. Wow. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. For three months. I stayed for three months okay. and I needed to get a, a hernia repair and my insurance didn't cover it down there that they said it was out of the network. So I had to go back up home in order to, to get the surgery. So I went home, come home and she has all my stuff packed in the car. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. You know, this, uh, I told you, you got to get your stuff together. And I meant it, you know, I have a, I have a daughter to look after. I was like, that's fine. Whatever. Went to my dad's house. So moved outside the city about an hour and a half, um, outside this outside Philadelphia, lived with my dad, got the surgery again. And now I was sober when I came home, I was sober, but by the time I got the surgery, uh, three weeks later, what comes with surgery pain meds mm -hmm. so i got pain meds i i uh, manipulated them a week later to give me more because i told them the pain isn't subsiding so you know there we go on a whole nother a whole nother script so I'm, I'm there and um sniffing those and i was like this ain't good enough i i know what i gotta get went and started using heroin again now i met this girl there uh, it was a lot of unhealthy relationships. <laughs> so I met this girl there. Um, she, she was she was in a program called the methadone program, methadone program, yeah. which is used as a maintenance like Suboxone, except it's a little bit stronger. And there's no uh, opiate blocker in that. So met her at the methadone program. She's like, hey, why don't you try this? You know, then you won't have to use heroin. Okay, cool. What do I got to do? Well, they didn't take my insurance. So I had to sign up for Medicare uh, or like welfare insurance. And that's all the only insurance they would take was the city city uh, funded insurance. So so I signed up, went to the methadone clinic. They started me at, um, I believe it was like 40 milligrams. And then every week they would bump it up, you know, because they, they want you to stay on maintenance. Um, that's the whole idea. So you don't have to go back to using heroin. Right. But the problem was, was there was no, remember how I said Suboxone has a blocker in yeah. it, an opioid blocker? Uh -huh. 
methadone, methadone does not. There's no opioid blocker at all. So I still wanted to use heroin. So here I am using heroin and methadone. And so that same girl, she was, um, she, again, like I said, very toxic relationships. <laughs> uh, she, was, she was on the run when I met her. And we started going to a methadone clinic together. I'd say two months in, she got caught up because she started using heroin as well. She was stealing from stores and she got caught and she had warrants and they took her away. Okay. So they took her away. I'm out here using by myself now. And before, so before she, I'm sorry, before she, what, before she went away. Oh no, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. So she went away for like two, three months when she got out, we got married through the justice of the peace. Mm -hmm. I I don't know why I have no idea that we weren't in a good relationship. It was just something to do, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't really remember much of it either, by the way, Mm. drugs do that to Mm. you. Um, so she, she start she showed me how to shoot up for the first time. Mm. Now I remember I was sniffing it. I told myself I'd never shoot up. Well, this is about a year and a half, a year and a half after sniffing it, I started shooting it. Um, started shooting it. Um, I'd say probably the first month of shooting, I overdosed in my bathroom. Oh boy. I woke up, my clothes were soaking wet and my stomach hurt. I'm like, what happened? She's like, you overdosed. You, you weren't waking up. I was like, so why am I soaking wet? She's like, well, I threw you in the shower. I was like, well, why is my stomach hurt? Well, I, I, I tried to punch you to get you to wake up. I was like, Jesus, man, this is terrible. So we went and got, we went to the um, pharmacy, got over the counter Narcan um, at, at the time. This was, uh, let me see, this was 2016. This was 2016. Mm-hmm. At the time, the heroin epidemic was so bad in Philadelphia, they started giving Narcan over the counter without a prescription. Jeez. And Narcan, Narcan is a um, overdose reversal. Yeah, uh, I, heard, I have heard of that. Okay. Yeah, so it's 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 it was getting so bad in Philadelphia. They started giving it out to family and friends, family and friends of addicts. Oh <clears throat> so yeah, so we went and got some of that. I was like, look, look next time, just hit me with this. You don't got to punch me and throw me in the shower. So, oh, so, so um, let me see, where was I? Okay, so overdose for the first time. I'd say about two months later. Two months later, I was like, I can't keep doing this. Like it's bad. Like. I started, I started injecting crack, which was terrible. Um, I started like anything again, I'm searching for something. So I don't have to feel nothing. I don't want to feel anything. I was running from those emotions, those feelings anyway. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get help. Oh no, 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 no. So yeah, I said I was going to get help. I called a local detox. They were going to come pick me up that night. Okay. Awesome. Right before they come, they said they're coming at eight o'clock at seven forty-five. I'm like, no, let me go get uh, uh, you know another bag before I go in, so I'm not sick. I didn't want to be dope sick. Went and got another bag. I came home to my dad's. I remember I shot it up. I shot it up, and then I went outside. The driver was sitting there waiting for me. I, I lit. I lit a cigarette. After I lit that cigarette, I don't remember anything. I overdosed on the front lawn of my dad's. Oh. This was the second time now, and I woke up. There was EMTs, cops, and the driver. And he's like, look, we're not taking you We're not taking you until you get cleared from the hospital. You just overdosed. I was like, shit, okay. Now they hit me with Narcan. Um, and when they hit you with Narcan, it kind of sobers you up. Mm-hmm. So you don't feel high anymore, mm-hmm. like at all. Okay. At the time, I was mad about that, obviously. So, I was, so the, cop, the cops were like, look, either you go with them to the hospital or you come with us. Um, he's like, look, I'm sure I can go in your house and find paraphernalia, you know, or drugs. And then we'll just take you instead of you going to the hospital. I was like, no, 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 no. I'll just go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital. 
Um, I remember, I remember specifically upon going to the hospital, the nurse was very, very, I, I could say rude, but she was very like ugly at the fact that I was coming in. She was ugly to me because I was coming in as an overdose. And what do you mean time, ugly? Like, what do you mean? She, like her, uh, her person, like her personality was ugly. Yeah. Like you can see the disdain in her eyes. Oh. Like she's like, ugh, like, ugh, you know? And I, I remember it specifically to this day. And I was like, you know what? You know, screw this lady. So I called my wife at the time. Mm-hmm. And I told her, come pick me up, bring some dope. All right. She comes, she gets me. I AMA from the hospital. I was like, you know, I'm not, I won't go to detox then. If this is what I need to go through to go to detox, I'm not going. So um, about a week later, I, was, I tried again with the detox. I knew I needed to get sober. Um, hold on, I'm sorry. One second. It's okay. Uh, so I, I knew I needed to get sober. Um, so I, I wanted to give it one more try. I called this place. Um, I was like, you know what? I tried two places nearby. It didn't work. Let me try this other place um, outside the state. So I went to Michigan. I knew it was a bad environment for me to stay in Philadelphia or even the general vicinity. Because, you know, if you want it, you're going to go to any extent you'll get it. So I was like, why don't I try going somewhere where I don't know nobody in the middle of nowhere, I can't just AMA and go home that day, make it hard for myself, kind of put things in my way so I don't relapse again. Yeah. Um, so I went to Michigan. Um, now, when I went, I had I had it in my mind that I wasn't going to come back to that toxic relationship. Yeah. So I didn't tell her that, though, obviously. Um, so I left. I stayed there for about eight days. And then they went to go put me in the residential program from detox. And I met this kid there and he's like, look, I want to go get high. What about you? Basically, I was like, bet, let's go get high. So (laughs) they dropped us off at the train station and we went and got high in, where was this? Grand Rapids, Michigan. We were, because we were in the middle of nowhere outside of Grand Rapids. So we went to Grand Rapids that night, got a hotel room, got high. Next day, he's like, I think I'm going to try and get try my, 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 my luck getting sober uh, at my friend's place in California. I was like, California? You can go to California and get and go to detox? I didn't know. So I was, I was, I'll, go to, I'll go to California with you. So I went to California. Um, again, I'm in that mindset where I'm not ready yet. I'm, I'm just not ready to face anything. Yeah. I wanted to get sober because it was unmanageable, but right. I didn't really want to dig into any of my problems. You know so I mean? you were aware of that time. That if you were going to get, if you're going to get sober from the, the drug that you would have to do a lot more work, meaning dig down deep, deal with the emotions, yeah. the shame, the guilt, the, yes. the sadness. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. I, and, and I, and I learned, I had to, I had to learn all that, um, somewhere in between, uh, the pills and the heroin. Oh, oh, okay. That's what it was. So when my, my, my wife, I was talking about when she was locked up, I did do 30 days at a program. And that probably was the best thing for me because I learned a lot about what was going on, about the addiction, about the, you know, the, 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 um, uh, the behaviors, the, the, you know, uh, everything that comes with, um, using, like I pro- learned a lot. It was like a program of recovery that kind of planted a seed in your head. About- it planted a seed and I knew, you know, I knew more about what I had to do. Okay. Um, okay. I was just scared of it. Honestly, yeah. I was fearful. I was yep. very fearful. Um, so I moved, I moved from Michigan to California, um, only brought a duffel bag with me. 
And this was eight days after I left, eight or nine days after I left Philadelphia. So she thought I was still in, in Michigan, called her. I said, look, I'm not coming back. I got to start over my, start my life over. I can't, I can't do this. Anyway, long story short, I, I, it actually, actually took me two years to get a divorce. I don't know why I just put it on the back burner and didn't really bother worrying about it. Anyway, so when I first got to California, again, wasn't too serious, stayed detox, left, got high for another two months, went into a, a program again, stayed for detox, left. Now that, that third time in California, I was just tired. Um, I lived, I, ha- I, ha- I had to live in the streets. Um, I had to live in cars, sleep on church steps you know, uh, panhandle, like these are things mm-hmm. I never thought I would do, you know, mm-hmm. but, but I was willing to give up all that stuff, you know, a home, um, love, um, you know, a roof over my head food. I was willing to give it all up for that heroin. And, um, a lot of the times people will say, you know, I lost all this because of heroin, but in all reality, I gave it up. I gave up everything for that drug. That's what I want. I didn't want anything else, you know? I, I might have told you I wanted it, but deep down inside, like I was saying, I didn't want it bad enough. You know, I didn't want it. Um, so my, my third time getting, so my third time in, in, in uh, treatment and I, I kind I kind of broke down in detox, you know, um, the therapist there was amazing. Um, and she kind of like knew, she knew what to ask mm. and then knew, she, she kind of knew like what to tell me. And, and at that time, I just I broke down. You know, I'm, I'm over there in detox, I think four days, five days, and I'm bawling my eyes out. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. You know, I don't want to go back out there on the streets, but like, you know, I can't stop using. Mm. So she, she kind of helped me out a lot. Um, and she had me write a letter. She had me write a letter to my sister as if I was going to give it to her. And that was so moving for me. And I was like, you know, wet in the paper with my tears the whole time. It, I know, I know. But it, 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 to this day, I still have the letter. And I think that kind of helped me a lot because she told me, she's like, look, you got you to gotta forgive yourself. And then just in the letter, ask your sister for forgiveness. I don't think she's, you know, and she, 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 she explained it to me. And I knew my sister wasn't like holding anything towards me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I didn't know that inside. And I kept beating myself up over it. Um, so, you know, it helped. I wrote a letter asking, uh, forgiving myself. And then I wrote a letter to myself after I wrote one to her and it kind of started the healing process. Right. Um, and that was just one thing I had to address. Um, there was a lot of other issues I had to address. Um, when I was 16, I told you I moved out. Um, I was on my own. Well, I kind of emancipated myself from my family. They were very, um, uh, like Christian and I didn't Mm want to, I didn't think that I had to be forced to do that. I, yeah. I thought I could just choose on my own what I wanted to do. I didn't okay. like their structure or their rules. So I, I, I was like, look, I found out I could move out at 16 and get emancipated. I told my mom, my dad, this is what I'm going to do. I'm leaving. You know, hurt my mom, hurt my dad. I had a lot to make up for. Um, I, I and, and honestly, all it was when I was a teenager, I was just being a rebel. You know, I was just mm-hmm. like, I, I'm not allowed to do it, so I'm going to do it. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, so... This, the healing process started that time in detox. And this was, let me think, this was the beginning of 2017. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, this was this was the end of 2016. Okay. 2017, um, I 
I had my shit together. Um, I, I, I knew that women were a big distraction for me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, after detox, I was like, look, I don't care where, where I go for aftercare. If you know any good programs, I just can't, I, I need to find a men's only program. You know, they, they worked closely with, with the men's program. I went there afterwards. I did 90 days. I was like, I got this now. Like, this is like, this was good. You know, I started gaining weight. I started, you know, eating better. I started, you know, trying to fix relationships. Excuse me. Um, relationships as far as family. Basically, I was on like this cloud. You know what I mean? Like, they talk about a pink cloud in the rooms. And I, I was on that yep. cloud for sure. I thought life was great. I can't mess up now. Awesome. Like, I'm ready to face the world. Um, I, needless to say, I wasn't quite ready. But I did have a, a better understanding, a better bearing on my addiction and understanding, you know, the process I had to go through. Um, I started working with a sponsor. Um, so here we are. And like I said, it was a men's only program. So I'm, I'm there for 90 days. I, I want to I go out and, you know, start dating again. So I did that. And I had to leave the program in order to do it because they, they didn't allow yeah, they didn't allow that. And I understood, I understand why now, but then I just didn't want to, again, that rebel started coming out of me and like, you ain't going to tell me, you're not going to tell me what I can and can't do. I had a big problem with that when I was younger, you know, the authority figures, I didn't like it. Um, so I moved out with this girl. And when I moved out with that girl, I figured, so in California, weed isn't, isn't illegal. And it's looked at a lot different than most of the other states. Mm-hmm. So I started smoking this like vape pen that was marijuana. And I was like, oh, this is fine. Like, look, I'm good. Like, I, I'm not using heroin. I'm just smoking some weed. One thing leads to another. I started using Suboxone again. And then I, again, here I am justifying it. Oh, it's mm-hmm. just Suboxone. It's not heroin. It's not opiates. I'm good. It's not, it's not going to kill me. Well, that didn't work out. It, it did not work out at all. That summer, um, summer 17, I went and got clean for the last time. I surrendered completely to the program. Um, mm-hmm. Now, when I now when I get got sober, um, I worked AA. Um, I always liked mm-hmm. AA better, even though I don't identify as an alcoholic. I always liked it better for whatever reason. NA, I don't have nothing mm-hmm. against NA, but this, as mm-hmm. far as the sponsorship goes, I just liked AA. Um, okay. So I worked the program, worked my steps, moved to Los Angeles um, from where I was at in California. Moved to Los Angeles you know, had my sober time. Um, I got, actually got past the 30 day. I mean, the 90 day mark was so proud about it at like six months. I was like, you know what? Let me stop counting. So I don't jinx myself. I'll just take it one day at a time and then, you know, go from there. Wow. Let me stop yeah. trying to, cause I, I, I thought like, I think I'm jinxing myself. I thought to myself, every time I get to this point and I'm like excited and counting, I, 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 I psych myself out and don't make it any further. So I stopped counting. I stopped taking chips um, I mean, here I am today. So, okay. So a little bit story about now, a little bit about now. Um, I, I met this girl, uh, I was working at a sober living, uh, sober home in Los Angeles. Uh, I was about six months sober then. And I met this girl, uh, she was also working there and, you know, we kind of kicked it off. Um, it was about two years ago. Uh, we kind of kicked it off and, she told me, she's like, look, I got to go back to my kids in Texas, you know. Um, uh, I don't know if we can date for long distance. I was like, no, don't worry. I'll come with you. You know, I ain't got nothing I ain't got nothing going on for me here, really. You know, and I really wanted to be with her. I did. I did. So mm-hmm. um, 
came to Texas. Um, we, we got an apartment in Austin and we uh, got engaged the, uh, last December. When, we, when, we, when I proposed to her, we actually went home to where I'm from, Philly. We went home to see my family. That was, I think, the second time I was home sober and stayed sober, which was a big thing for me because I was like, mm-hmm. I was scared. That was another thing. So when I left to California, I was scared to go back because I knew if I went back and surrounded myself with those same people, those same in, those same situations in that same environment, I didn't know if I was going to be strong enough to say no. So yeah. anyway, in sobriety, I, I went back. This was the second time now and remained sober. I proposed to her. And right before, that was Christmas Eve, I proposed to her. Christmas Day, she found out she was pregnant. I was like, oh, shit, here we go. Great Christmas gift. Thank you. (laughs) Great Christmas gift. We went home uh, two, two, three months later, found out it was twins. I was like, oh, shit, here we go. And now all I was was hoping and praying for at that point was, please let them be boys. I just, all I wanted my whole life uh, was, was boys, you know? Um, that was a big part of that void I was talking about. Um, I wanted a sense of belonging. I wanted a sense of love, um, that is like a family, you know, that nurturing love. Mm -hmm. Um, so I found that out, you know, through recovery, but all I wanted was two boys. I was like, I I want all I wanted was a boy, but now that there was two, I was like, just please let them be boys. They turned out they were boys. I was excited. Ah! She wasn't excited. She wanted two more girls. (laughs) I was like, no, 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 no. So, okay. So, um, yeah, so here I am. I'm in Texas. Uh, I live in Austin now. Um, I settled my first home um, this past December, um, a year after we were engaged. We're still engaged now. We're just trying to take it slow with the marriage. Um, She has a, a prior divorce. I have a prior divorce. You know, she's actually in recovery for alcoholism. Um, uh-huh. and, and again, you know, it's not, it's not to say that all addicts aren't the same cause they mostly are, but it's a different battle. Cause I, I I've never been close with an alcoholic like that. And her battle and my battle are, are kind of different, you know, not, mm-hmm. not in the sense of, you know, recovery, but just like, you know, what got us there, our journey, you know, the feelings yeah. involved, like it was all different, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm, but I'm, I have to say, I'm here, I'm here say, living my life and I'm grateful because I, I couldn't have had any of this without um, my sobriety. Um, the, the life I was, I was living was definitely headed towards death, um, destruction. Yeah. Um, I did overdose one more time when I was in California and that was, that's three overdoses where I was, I was on death's doorsteps and I didn't care. You know, where I was mentally, I just didn't care. I was like, I just wanted to be over with. I actually, you know, I used to not wake up. Like, it was, you know, I woke up. All right, let's try this again. I wasn't suicidal, but, and again, I just didn't care. You know, I I had no, Mm -hmm. I had no um, excitement about life. So I'm grateful today. I have two beautiful, you know, boys. They're about to be a year in in July. And two, two beautiful stepdaughters, a beautiful fiance, um, so a little bit about the sober guru um, goes kind of with my story, you know, so when I was. Yeah. And I just have to say, I, I just want to just interject real yes. quick. I'm just blown away by this story. And it, I mean, you, I, I'm I've been taking notes the whole time. <laughs> and from the beginning, it's clear that you are somebody because this, this make, this is going to make sense when I'm done. 
but um, you talk about right from the beginning that you're, you want to, like you, when you were in your teens, you want to get into a job where you're helping people. Mm-hmm. And so you could work at a children's hospital in Philly. And then you go through these year these years of, of chaos and addiction and overdosing and almost dying. And now where you are now makes total sense. And it just, it's just amazing that you're, you're doing what you're doing because what you're doing is helping countless people. Right. So go ahead and tell us about the sober guru. So, yeah. So I always, like you said, I've always had a passion to help people in any way I could. Um, a good thing about helping people, um, you know, I think we talked about this before, Sarah, like it gets me out of myself. It, it gets me out of myself. I'm, I stay out of my head. And then I focus on like helping other people. Right. So helping other people that can look so many different ways, you know, um, mm. I. Um, I wanted to help addicts because when I was stuck in addiction, I thought that there was no way out. And maybe I was just naive. Maybe I was just, you know, that one person, you know, I don't know what the normal is, but maybe, maybe there's not enough resources for people. Maybe people don't know. This is what I was thinking to myself. Maybe, you know, these people think they're trapped and stuck and there's no way out, you know, cause I felt like that. I definitely felt like that. The only times I went to treatment is when someone else brought it up and I saw that it was doable. You know, I didn't, I didn't actually know. Um, when I look, when I thought about treatment as a, uh, as you know, as a young adult, I thought of like, you know, like, uh, Amy Winehouse or like, you know, people that okay. like were celebrities that went to rehab and they probably paid tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it. Like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that I could go and get the help I needed and it wasn't going to cost me anything or, you know, it was easily easy to, to, to find. Um, now, back then, it wasn't as easy to find. Again, this was like five, six, seven years ago. It wasn't. Right. It, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't on the internet like it is today. Um, so, and that's largely because of what you are doing. It correct? definitely plays a part in it. Yes, I agree. And and you know, because you have thirty four, you have thirty four thousand people following it, your blog on Facebook. Yeah, there, there. That took a lot of work, but I mean, the the direction I'm going, I, I, I that's just a start. You know what I mean? It's definitely just the start. Um, I want I want to reach a lot of people because I want people to know that they're not stuck. There is hope. Um, and, and like I said to you before, um, it, it 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 doesn't matter. You know, help can vary and can look and look like a, a lot of different ways. Um, so whether it's you know uh, uh, I have these issues and I need to see a therapist, I just don't know where to look. I can help them with that. You know, I'm homeless. Um, I have no resources. I have no finances. I have nothing. I need a shelter. I don't know where to look. I can help you with that. You know, it, whatever it looks like, whether it's, I need detox, I need, I need a good sober home. I need a, um, you know, I, I, I need a resource. I've... This is incredible. I'm sorry. I'm just so excited. I'm getting so excited because this is just, I'm sorry to interrupt no. because I have your, I have you up here on my, my, um, um, my laptop, the sober guru. And this is, this thing is going to explode because what you're offering, I mean, talk about, you know, living into your, your calling, like as a human being, right? Like you are truly living into it and talk about selflessness. I mean, you are, you have created something where people can put resources just 
just throw them into your website and your Facebook page and, and people all over can find out what you had to work really hard to find out or didn't, couldn't find out. Right. So, I mean, this is just unbelievable to me. And I'm just so, I feel so honored that I, I get, I, I'm the, I'm the first person to be interviewing. this. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is just the beginning, Sarah. Um, I have a, I have a long way to go and definitely a lot of different ideas to add to it. Um, but you know, I'll help. There's, um, the same places I went to get high in Philadelphia, Kensington, Philadelphia, Uh there's a nonprofit and a, uh, a movement over there going on. Um, I've been working with a a gentleman for about a year and a half, helping people, you know, they were homeless. They have no insurance. They have no resources. They have no finances. They just want to stop using so I've been working with him and he, he, he reached out. I reached out to him actually. And when he realized what I was doing to help people, we kind of been working together ever since. Um, and, and it, it's a blessing, you know, it's a blessing because mm-hmm. these are the same streets I used to walk around to look for heroin. And now I get to give mm-hmm. back and help, um, you know, people with nothing, you know what I mean? You know, so it, like I said, a lot has come from my sobriety and this is just another thing I'm grateful for. You know, I get to help people. I get to be there for people. Like I wanted people to be there for me, you know? Um, yeah. I get to be in my family's life. You know, I have a better relationship with my father. I have a great relationship with my mom, you know, um, my, my siblings. Um, I get to be there for my kids because, you know, I know for once, I know I have to remind myself, but I know if I pick up one more time, it's over. You know, it, it yeah. end game. Yeah. No, there's no more. Yeah. There's no coming back from it because you know now nowadays you have the the um the problem of fentanyl. You know, when I was getting high, you know, four or five years ago, it was more more so just um heroin, and and there's a difference. There's there's a big difference. That the fentanyl is the reason why people are dropping like flies every single day, um, and it's getting worse yeah. and worse and worse. Um. You know, oh, so it, it is scary. And, and sometimes even the Narcan can't reverse the fentanyl, you know, um, it, it, it's bad, though. It, it, it's 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 definitely bad. But um, I'm grateful that I, I don't have to, you know, still be out there using. I'm grateful that I I can, um, you know, make a life for my family. I can raise my family. I can I can be present in my own life, you know, and sometimes um, I have bad days and, and those bad days, you know, they, they can be they can be terrible or they can you know, be uh, uh, another learning uh, lesson for me. Um, but mm-hmm. I, more so this time, um, uh, I'm sorry, not this time, but this this time in my life more so, I'm learning how to process my emotions, process my feelings. Um, I'm learning how to work through them. Um, I'm learning how to grow from them. Um, these are all things that I was scared of in the past. You know, I thought it was all bad. You know, you say the word feelings and... For me, I think negative, you know, I don't think the positive feelings. I think, oh my goodness, I don't want to feel, you know, um, and mm-hmm. that's how it was for me when I was in active addiction. So, you know, I'm yeah. grateful for feelings. I'm grateful for, um, I'm grateful for my family. Like I said, I'm grateful that I get to help people, um, you know, whatever that looks like for you know people in need. Um, I'm grateful that I get to share, you know, my testimony and I get to, um, you know, be a good son be a good father, be a good husband. I'm grateful for that. There there was a time when I couldn't say, I I would call you crazy if you told me my life was going to be like this. I would have been like, you must be high yourself. (laughs) Where'd you get that from? (laughs) You know, I I would, this is like out of my, out of my, uh, it was out of my realm of possibilities in active addiction. And I'm definitely living my wildest dreams, you know? 
and it continues to get better. Um, you know, and, and there, like I said, there are rough times, but I, I honestly just use them as a, a time to grow, you know, because I know that the feelings are temporary. If they're negative, they, uh, they'll go away. And then when they do go away, what can I learn from them? You know, what can I learn from these kind of experiences moving forward? Um, I have a really good connection with my, with my higher power, who is God. Um, and, you know, I try to, I try to make that uh, relationship stronger and stronger. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time these days just, you know, whether it's face, Facebook takes up a lot of my time. <laughs> That's the thing with that. Um, it, it takes a lot, a lot of time. Um, I created that page last April. And right before the boys were born, um, I was putting in the most time, April, July. And when they were born, I kind of had to just do it not so much, but still enough to where it doesn't like, um, you know, lose its reach or lose its um, momentum. So, you know, that takes up a lot of my time now. Um, I created the Instagram page not too long after um, that mm-hmm. too, you know, takes time. Um and then, like, my phone's always on. Uh, everybody, I give my number to. If they need me, they call me. You know, whether it's back home, whether it's people I've met along the way, you know, whether it's people in California. Um, but my whole goal and mission is just help people raise awareness. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a hopeless situation at the time, but there definitely is hope, you know. And if I can help people see that, then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting, I'm, I'm fulfilling my dreams you know? Oh, yeah. You you know what? You are a beautiful example of, of what life can look like on the other side of addiction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you had the bonus, um, innate compassion inside of you, the innate desire to, you know, to help other people and then to have a sister with special needs, you know, that you, that I think adds an element to who you are as well. Um, and I'm just speaking from personal experience because I too, I have, um, special needs children and, and the fact that you are where you are today and you, and you get to be a sober father for those two, I'm looking at them right now, (laughs) two beautiful, are they identical? Uh, No, they're, they're actually, um, fraternal, but they, 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 they they, they look a lot. I'm going to tell you the truth. And my mom, I was, um, I, I flew my mom down here, um, this week to, to see the boys. And I, I was telling her last night, I was like, mom, you know, they're, they're 10 months old and I still get them confused. She, no. she's like, no, you don't. And I'm like, look, this kid right here is Lucian. She's like, no, that's Lucas. I was like, see, that's what I'm talking about. I don't even know sometimes they look, they look so much alike. Um, me and my fiance, we were talking about getting a DNA test just to see if they are uh, identical yeah. because it's possible they can be in separate sacks and still be identical. It's rare, but it's oh. possible. Yeah. So okay, we're, we're thinking about doing that, um, you know, further down the road, but yeah, they have yeah, two yeah. separate personalities. They're, they're, they're beautiful. You know, they're amazing. I have to say being a father Aww. sober, being a father is the most amazing feeling in the whole wide world. I look at these boys mm-hmm. every day and I get a smile on my face and the older they get, mm-hmm. the more they realize who I am in their life and they recognize my voice, you know, all this stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, it's beautiful. It's amazing. But like I was saying about trials and tribulations still, when, um, so real quick, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. So when my, when, when they were born, they were born a month and a half early, um, premature. Okay. So they had to do a C-section because one of the babies was transverse, which is Lucas. He was transverse. Lucian was, you know, uh, I don't know what you call it, but straight up and down. <laughs> and, okay. um, okay. so during the C-section, um, Lucian was born at, at noon 
three minutes later, they took Lu- Lucas out. Now, when they took Lucas out, there was no, there was, there was no heartbeat. And oh. I was in tears. I was like, no, this can't be possible. Like, no way. I was freaking out. They took him to the incubator right away. You know, they had all these nurses come over. And it was like, it, it felt like 20 minutes later, but it was probably about 10 seconds later or five, two seconds later. But it felt like forever. I hear his yeah. cry. And I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. And it, it, oh. I, I think that, that that day was a test in itself. Um, we came to find out, um, he has a, um, uh, a heart condition. It's where one of his aortic, aortic valves is, um, they're supposed to be, it's supposed to be a bicuspid valve. He only has one valve where he's supposed to have two or he's only has two where he's supposed to have three. And it, it was during birth, um, oh, wow. or during, while he was in the womb, it didn't form all the way, you know? So oh, okay. he... The doctor said, well, we have to see a heart specialist for him now um, every so often, but he's going to need surgery probably every seven years to get a prosthetic uh, valve, a prosthetic valve. So again, trials and tribulations. Here I am in sobriety, you know, a couple years sober and still these things like the thoughts definitely come up, come up still. But now Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm stronger in my sobriety. I have the tools necessary and I know yep. that everything will be okay if I just, you know, do the next right thing. Um, stay close, yeah. stay close to God and, you know, just keep, keep being present and keep being there for them. So I didn't let something like that bring me down, you know, which in active addiction, I got high for a lot less, you know, it wasn't, uh-huh. I didn't have to hear news like that to get high, you know? So uh-huh. I, it just shows the growth, right? It shows where I, where I oh. was mentally and now where I am mentally and, you know, how I don't let, I don't let things bother me or get to me or bring me down the way I used to. Right. Um, so yeah, you know, we, well, you worked hard. You have worked so hard, Tim, like not, and, and you talked about how you always wanted that the sense of belonging and, and you, and you, you, I love how you said, you know, when you had the, your twin boys, you had the sense of, but then you backtracked and said, but I really was able to get that feeling when I went through a program and, and it was that, and I know from my experience that program helps you to get to know yourself and to love yourself in order, in order for that, at least for me, that's the program definitely opened my eyes to so much about myself, about my feelings, Mm -hmm. about my behaviors, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, steps one through 12, you know, it's it's great and those it's great and that's what and that's like the foundation Mm -hmm. upon which we live our lives positively so yes like you can you can experience something that with your um one of your twins that the heart condition but you i'm sure you have that in in your toolbox what i need to do if i think about oh my gosh this is so hard i want to use wait i know what's going to happen if i use and you can walk through it you can kind of like how play the table think through the drink you know we think through the drink now what if we think if we pick up it's going to be five you know five days of you know intoxication and being useless to everyone in the entire world and and causing chaos and and everything like that so you obviously you you obtain that in that program of recovery you started with and then that sense of belonging. I am just so happy for you because you are an amazing, you are amazing. And I'm just Thank so you, grateful 
that I got to have you on this podcast. And I hope, I hope other people pick up on this podcast and have you on other podcasts because people need to know about the sober guru and what you're doing for people because you are truly a selfless human being. And, you know, obviously you admit it, like you don't, you're not perfect. You have bad days. Cause that's the thing. Like those of, those of us who have gotten sober, we're grateful for it, but we also know, like I know for myself, I know I'm not perfect. I know right. that I still mess up. Like I'm, I'm still going to mess up in sobriety, but I know I have a, a program where I can say, you know, I'm sorry right away. Or I can say, well, what can I do to make this better? You know, and, and, um, and you clearly have those skills and the healed relationships. This is just a, a fast, like just an amazing story. I'm just so you can tell. I get so excited. about talking <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. And, and- <laughs> Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you to my guest and all of you for listening. I hope what you heard inspires you to look for and recognize the gifts of sobriety. Sober Gratitudes, a podcast dedicated to delivering messages of hope through true stories of recovery. A sober life is possible if you truly want it. Mm